Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. Episode 44, recorded Tuesday, June the 20th, 2017. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, uh, John Campia, and uh, got a whole bunch of things to talk about today. First of all, I want to say thank you to everybody, because... On Sunday, I put up my first episode in over nine months. Sorry for the huge gap, but, you know, I've been extremely busy, and I just decided enough is enough, time to get back to doing the podcast. But after putting up my first podcast in nine months, the John Cambia podcast jumped to number 42 on the podcast chart. So thank you to everybody for uh, making that possible and, and getting that going. I really appreciate the support. That's awesome. Yesterday was an interesting day. Uh, let me just address this right now because I think a lot of you are probably wondering, hey, John, we saw you on social media. And by the way, if you're not following me on social media, follow me on Facebook and on Twitter, just at John Campia. And make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel as well, just uh, youtube.com slash John Campia. So make sure you're following me there. But a lot of you are thinking, John, we saw that you were at a Transformers screening last night. What did you think of Transformers? Transformers is under embargo until 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today. That's 7 p.m. on the East Coast. So I cannot talk yet as of the recording of this podcast. And when this podcast goes up, I cannot talk about that yet. Now, at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today on Tuesday the 20th, I will be putting up on my YouTube channel my review of Transformers The Last Night. So once again, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Campy. I will have my review up there. I'm on vacation from Collider right now, so I'm going to put my review up there. So at 4 o'clock, check back for my review. Unfortunately, that's all I can say about it right now. But believe me, I'll have several things to say about this new Transformers movie at 4 o'clock. All right. So anyway, here's how today's show is going to go. I'm going to, I've got a couple of topics here that I want to talk about. And then as always, I'm going to go to your questions because I really like the podcast to be more about the questions you guys raise. The first topic I want to talk about today, though, is I came across a really interesting article over on one of my favorite uh, websites, Slash Film, run by a buddy of mine named Peter Serretta. And they had an interesting article up because I've been thinking about The Mummy lately. Now, as most of you guys know, I'm one of the I'm one of the few guys who actually kind of enjoyed the Mummy. I didn't think it was great by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I, I thought the positives outweighed the negatives. I thought there was enough fun in it for me to enjoy it. But you know, I was in the minority. A lot of critics and a lot of you guys did not like the Mummy, and that's totally fair. 
But anyway, Slash Film put up a really interesting article uh, called The Lessons Universal and Hollywood Should Learn from the Mummy. Now, I don't agree with everything in the article, but it did get me thinking more about, you know, the mummy and things like that. And one of the first points that they brought up in the article is something that, you know, we've all known for a while and that we've been talking about for a while, but we really see the point being driven home with the mummy. And that is this, is that star power doesn't draw anymore. Star power doesn't draw anymore. You know, you put Tom Cruise, yeah, Tom Cruise has big blockbuster movies, but that doesn't mean that just put Tom Cruise in a movie and it's going to be a big blockbuster hit. I mean, look at Jack Reacher too. Uh, A great example brought up in the article, by the way, was like some people say, oh, Chris Pratt. No, no. If Chris Pratt is the reason Jurassic World made so much money, then why did Passengers not do so well with uh, another huge star, Jennifer Lawrence? You know, so raise that question too. And, and, you know, he makes some other points in there as well. I think one of the other points that they raised is something that me and some friends had talked about before was that early on, the, I think The Mummy was really supposed to be a horror movie, a horror movie with action in it. And I believe it was, you know, Russell Crowe was talking about that. This is before Tom Cruise came on board. Well, then Tom Cruise came on board and he brought his own writers And The Mummy went from being a horror movie with some good action in it to being an action movie with some horror elements in it. And there are some horror elements in it, but by in no way, shape or form would I say that The Mummy is actually, you know, a a, a horror film. But in thinking about The Mummy, you know, another thing that comes to mind is that the narrative around The Mummy... When you talk about it, it really is that it's a box office flop. Everybody's talking about what a box office bomb, what a box office disappointment the money, uh, the mummy is. But here's some interesting numbers. While it's still fair to say that the mummy's box office is disappointing, you can't call it a failure. Not really. It, you can't call any movie that makes money a failure. You can say it disappointed, like maybe it didn't do nearly as well as they had hoped or what they were hoping for. But if a movie makes profit... You cannot really call it a failure per se. You know what? The Mummy has made domestically $57 million. That's terrible. That's terrible. It should have made way more than that on its opening weekend. But it made $57 million so far after, I think, three weeks or a couple of weeks at any rate. It's made $57 million domestically. But here's the thing. Worldwide, in foreign markets, it's made $236 million, which means worldwide, the mummy, as of right now, has made close to $300 million. On a production budget of $125 million, you figure about $50 million on top of that for marketing. You take away about a third of its box office for the theater's take. And you're talking about a movie that is probably already a couple of weeks in, around $25 million profit. So The Mummy is not a quote-unquote failure. It's, I mean, it's just not. It hasn't, you know, when a movie loses money for their studio, it's a failure. This one has not. So all this talk that's been going around about, oh, the universal monster universe now is dead. No, it's not. They're going to move ahead with their plans because this one made them money. They're going to hope that they can learn from their lessons. They're going to try to evaluate why did this movie do so badly in the North American box office because had it done as well as it did overseas, you'd be talking about a mega hit right now, but it's not. But look, it's profitable. They're going to move forward. The Bride of Frankenstein is going to happen. I really hope they change their mind about that because I don't think Bride of Frankenstein should be their follow-up. I don't think there's going to be a lot of interest in that per se. So yeah, strap in folks. We are going to get more universal monster universe movies. They are coming. 
Okay, the next thing I want to talk about here before we get to the questions is uh, it got announced. The uh, Warner Brothers put out a press release the other day. Filming has officially begun on Godzilla 2. So, of course, Godzilla is a part of another quote-unquote monster shared universe, if you will. Of course, we had Godzilla 1, then we had King Kong. I like King Kong. I thought King Kong was pretty good. I didn't think it was great. Like, it it definitely had some issues, but I thought it was a fun enough movie for what it was. And anyway, we knew Godzilla was 2 was coming, and now it's official. It is now in production. And I've got... Look, I enjoyed the first Godzilla movie. I was a little disturbed by the lack of Godzilla in the Godzilla movie. Like, I felt it was really short. You know, me and John Schnepp talk about that movie a lot. And one of Schnepp's big complaints, and I completely agree with him, about that first Godzilla movie was that there are several scenes in this movie where the big monsters are going to fight and then they cut away and see some, like, nonsense TV footage or whatever, and they cut away from them, and we don't get to see the monsters fight until, like, the very end. I understand what they were going for. They wanted to build up and then have this big climax with this fight at the end, and I get that, but you can't have a movie called Godzilla and have so little screen time for your title character, Godzilla. I hope they correct that, and it sounds like they will, because what a lot of people suspected, what there were whispers of, it's official, Godzilla's not fighting one monster. He's got three marquee, classic Godzilla monsters in this movie. We got Rodan, Mothra, and King Ghidra, and that is really cool. I think that kind of, I think understanding that all three of those are going to be in there, I think that's a signal being shot in the sky by Warner Brothers telling us as movie fans that, hey, we heard you. There wasn't enough Godzilla in the Godzilla movie. We're not now going to have just one nemesis for Godzilla to fight. We're going to give you three, which means you're going to get more Godzilla. And I think that's great. Ken Watanabe is coming back. Sally Hawkins is coming back, which is great. Then you got guys like uh, like uh, Kyle Chandler, Millie Bobby Brown, uh, Charles Dance is coming. O'Shea Jackson Jr. from Straight Out of Compton is going to be there. That's all great. The one thing about this new Godzilla movie that makes me a little bit nervous is that it's being directed by Michael Doherty. Now, I'm not saying he's a bad director, not at all. But his two films, Krampus and Trick or Treat, I really didn't care for. You know, Trick or Treat was an interesting one because I was late to the Trick or Treat party. And I know a lot of my friends who are horror buffs, they saw Trick or Treat and they really liked it. Like they liked Trick or Treat a lot. I think you'll talk to a lot of horror fans that really like Trick or Treat. And maybe it was because I heard so much hype before seeing it. But I watched Trick or Treat and I'll be honest with you, I didn't think it was all that good. And once again, I'm, I'm totally comfortable being in the minority if that's the case, but I, I just didn't think Trick or Treat was all that great. And Krampus. Krampus was one I was really looking forward to, and I thought the, the marketing for it was pretty good. I liked the cast that was in there, and I liked the mythology of the Krampus. I mean, that's pretty cool. But again, the movie for me just didn't quite click. So while I'm excited there's a new Godzilla movie coming, and while I'm excited that it's now in production, it's shooting, it's underway, and I like the cast, and I'm happy that it seems there's going to be more Godzilla in this movie than in the previous one, I'm still a little bit apprehensive because of who's at the helm. But who knows? I mean, let's wait and see. This could be great. I mean, a a lot of great pieces seem to be in place, so maybe this will work out. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get to the main stuff here. That's what you guys want to talk about. Again, if you want to get your topic or question on the John Campia podcast, make sure you're following me on Twitter and Facebook, particularly Facebook. 
because I put up my call for questions on Facebook and then I just take questions from there. So make sure you're following me there. And the first question comes to us from Mike Braggs, who Mike Braggs and a lot of people asking this question this morning, how was Transformers? Again, let me <laughs> let me reemphasize, it's still under embargo until 4 p.m. tonight. Check back here on my Facebook and my Twitter. I'll, I will have links to my full review on it'll be non-spoilers not that anything matters with spoilers with the transformers movie but it'll be a, a links to my full review that will be up at four o'clock pacific standard time that's 7 p.m east coast time so make sure you check back there at that time all right let's move on to the next question and the next question comes to us from ty w rothermal who writes what do you feel is the future of comic book of the comic book genre i think we're headed towards a lot more independent comics like savage dragon and spawn well Okay, let me answer the first part of the question. What do I think is the future? I think the future is we're starting the last two or three years, we've started to see what I believe the trend will be for comic book movies over the next couple of years. Comic book movies, for the most part, can't just be comic book movies anymore. It's important for it to be a blended genre. So a comic book slash something else movie. So like Ant-Man was a comic book slash heist movie. Captain America, the Winter Soldier was a comic book slash political 70s intrigue movie. If you're talking about Logan, it's a comic book slash Western drama in many ways. If you're talking about Deadpool, it's a comic book slash comedy. I think what you're seeing is, is more and more as the comic book genre matures. And look, I said this, I believe, on Movie Talk a couple of weeks ago. I believe we're, as, as it feels like, comic book movies have been around forever. I really believe just in the last couple of years, we are seeing the maturation of the comic book genre because now we're seeing genres, or I'm sorry, we're seeing comic book movies that aren't just comic book movies. They are incorporating and utilizing and leveraging other subgenres as well into their thing to really make their films distinct and different from one another. Because like we said, Ant-Man was a totally different movie completely different kind of movie than Captain America Winter Soldier is. Batman v Superman is a completely different kind of movie than Deadpool. Wolverine, or I should say Logan, is a completely different movie than Thor. I mean, so, and that I believe is the real, I think we're going to see that trend continue of each comic book movie coming out is going to have its own unique subgenre uh, to go along with it to hopefully elevate and make that movie better and more distinct from other comic book movies. Now, as far as the other part of the question about seeing a lot more independent comics like Savage Dragon and Spawn, here's the problem. I don't disagree with you because on one hand, as we get more and more comic book movies, they're going to be looking for more and more source material to use. And maybe at that point, you start looking at the independent stuff like Savage Dragon or Spawn and things like that. And that's totally understandable. The problem becomes though, who makes those movies? Who makes the Savage Dragon movie? Who makes the Spawn movie? I mean, McFarlane has been talking about, I'm making a new Spawn movie for like 10 years. Every year we get a comment, oh, it's coming soon. It's working, it's imminent now. I'm gonna do a new Spawn movie. Well, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll believe it when I see it because you've been talking for like over a decade about how we're getting a new Spawn movie any minute now. So the question becomes, who makes those movies? Warner Brothers isn't going to make them. Warner Brothers has DC. They are interested in developing the DC brand. Disney 
isn't going to make Savage Dragon or Spawn. They're busy. They have their own vested interest in Marvel titles. They want to develop and build the Marvel brand. That's what they're going to do. Universal right now is kind of wrapped up in their monster cinematic universe. And we just talked about that with the mummy and things like that. Sony is now kind of in the MCU game with Spider-Man and now with Amy Pascal saying that, you know, Venom and Black Cat and Silver Sable are all going to kind of be connected in some way to the MCU. So there's Sony right there. So now the list of potential suitors is getting smaller and smaller. So who does that leave? Well, one potential option is maybe Paramount. Paramount's been struggling a bit, um, you know, to be honest, with trying to come up with a big hit. Baywatch was a recent big flop of theirs. Man, I wanted to love that movie. Uh, give me a minute to feel a little bit of sorrow for Baywatch. I was so excited about that movie and I thought it was just awful. But Paramount could be a player. Then you're looking at like a slightly smaller, like the next tier down, a slightly smaller studio, like maybe a Lionsgate. Maybe, maybe a Lionsgate is is could be involved in something like that but see that's where the trouble comes that's where that's where the the issue becomes a little muddy is yeah we're looking for new source material and we're running out of comic book characters uh those there's thousands of comic book characters but if you're talking about a savage dragon which i believe savage dragon because john schnepp and i talked about savage dragon a number of times on uh heroes savage dragon i think could make an excellent movie and maybe you could take another swing at spawn and some, there are definitely many, many others. The problem becomes you become limited in who are your potential suitors as far as studios go who would actually pony up and make these movies. There's limited choices. And does Lionsgate want to get into that game? Does Lionsgate want to put up a hundred plus million dollars for a movie? I don't know if Lionsgate wants to do that. And not just that movie, but commit to a franchise of movies. Maybe, maybe not. Does a studio like Paramount maybe? Again, I think that Paramount is probably the best chance. I think Paramount Studios becomes your you know your shining knight in the, riding into the, into the horizon that has your chance of getting movies like that made. They're a big studio that has the finances to do films like this on the scale that movie-going audiences have come to expect. I mean, but Deadpool has shown us not every comic book movie has to be a $150 million movie. Deadpool, I believe its budget was 50 or 60 million bucks. So that's possible, but it was also a very visual effects limited movie. So we'll see. But really, the future I see it is more diversification in the subgenres that comic book movies utilize. All right, the next question comes to us from Tarla Barlas, who writes... Will we ever see a continuation of the Godfather series? What's left of the five families? I don't think so. And you know what? I think despite the fact that Godfather 3, a lot of people forget this. Godfather 3, as much as it gets poo-pooed on, Godfather 3 was nominated for Best Picture. Every single one of the Godfather movies, the entire trilogy, was nominated for Best Picture. I believe only one other trilogy in history can make the same claim. Uh, and that was Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings trilogy, all three of them were nominated for Best Picture. All three of the Godfather films were nominated for Best Picture. And Godfather 1 and 2 actually both won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. But even though it got nominated, Godfather 3, that is, got nominated for Best Picture, it has a bad reputation. And, you know, I think, I remember, you know, hearing Coppola talk about it once that he might have even had a little bit of regret letting that movie get made. That it, it wasn't the movie that he wanted them to remember The Godfather by. But anyway, taking all that in consideration, I don't think 
they have any plans or desire to do another Godfather movie. At some point, I'm sure we'll get a Godfather remake and a bunch of you are screaming at your radios and computers right now, don't remake the Godfather. I get it. I understand. I understand. But at some point they can remake the Godfather, uh, give a modern take on it and see how it holds up. But uh, as far as like a Godfather part four, I honestly just don't see it happening at this point. All right, moving on to the next question. We got one from Ben Rayner. Speaking of the Transformers, he asks, how would you rank the Transformers movies from best to worst? Okay, I'll answer that, but I cannot include Transformers The Last Night in this list, okay? I would say number one is easily the, the one Transformers movie I really enjoyed, which was Transformers, the first one. I love that one. So that's number one. I did not enjoy any of the other three. So I would say the best is number one. The second best is is number three. Third best is number two. And in fourth place, I would put the fourth Transformers movie. I will give you a little hint where I would put uh, Transformers Last Night. It's on one of the ends. It's either the best one or it's the worst one. It's not in the middle. So I'll give you that little teaser. You can come back and check my review at four o'clock. All right. Our next question comes to us from Daryl Best Wadley, who writes, Hey, John, can you please tell me what you think of Flash Season 3? I used to love to hear your opinions on the Flash recap show, but since it was canceled, we haven't heard your opinion on the new season. Uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed Flash Season 3. Now, I don't think it was as strong as maybe the other seasons, but I think they did a couple of things, and a couple of the episodes were just flat out excellent. I have never gotten into, uh, what do they call him, HW? I've never been into HW. Um, I just found his character kind of useless. And this whole thing of, you're here to give us morale. I, I've never bought into that. And so that was kind of useless. I didn't think Savitar, I don't want to spoil anything, but I, so I'm going to be careful here, but I was actually a little bit disappointed with the way they used Savitar. I still think it was a strong season and a lot of the themes and everything they were tackling was really good. And I quite enjoyed the season. I did. I would still put it probably as my number three on the three seasons. Like I still think it's probably... I think maybe season two is my favorite, season one is my next favorite, and then season three is my third favorite, and I like them all, uh, and I liked it, but the way they end off the season does open up a lot of really interesting possibilities for what they could do in season four, so uh, yeah, that's generally my thoughts on Flash season three. All right, the next question comes to us from Eloy Vasquez, who writes, oh my goodness, okay, sorry, guys, I'm going to rant on this for a second. Are you attending the Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather fight? Okay, look, I... I know for the most part, you guys tune in uh, when you listen to my podcast or watch my YouTube videos. Mostly you're looking for movie talk and television talk and things like that. But I'm, I'm going to talk about sports once in a while because sports are a big thing to me. And I'm a huge MMA guy. This Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather thing is the dumbest, most ridiculous, overtly nonsensical cash grab that there has ever been in sport. Because... And first of all, Oscar De La Hoya, one of the greatest boxers of all time, he put out a long open letter to the fans about a couple of weeks ago about how absolutely ludicrous and how bad for both sports this Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather fight is. Because if anybody out there thinks Conor McGregor stands the remotest chance of not getting his ass completely handed to him, knows nothing about combat sports, Floyd Mayweather is a boxer. And one of the best who ever lived, Conor McGregor is not a boxer. He is a mixed martial artist. 
You put Floyd Mayweather in a UFC cage with Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor knocks him out in a minute. Probably a minute. He lands one leg kick. Floyd Mayweather drops like a sack of potatoes. McGregor jumps on top of him and starts throwing elbows elbows to his face. And it's done. Done. Because Floyd Mayweather is not a mixed martial artist. He is a boxer. Conor McGregor may have very good boxing skills for a UFC fighter, but he is not a boxer. He's not a boxer. He boxes, but he's not a boxer. Floyd Mayweather is as boxer as it gets. Floyd Mayweather is going to smash Conor McGregor. He's absolutely going to smash him. He may not knock him out because Floyd Mayweather doesn't really have knockout power per se, but he's just going to beat him. He's going to use, he's going to beat him like a piece of meat for however many rounds it goes or until somebody in in, uh, Conor McGregor's uh, corner throws in the towel and it's all for a payday. That's all this is for. We're going to put on this big show and a bunch of people are going to be dumb enough to buy the pay-per-view and it's going to be a giant payday. Conor McGregor is going to get like $100 million. This is a dude who averages, even though he's the highest paid UFC fighter, he averages about $3 million per fight in the UFC. He's going to get $100 million to fight Floyd Mayweather. Obviously, I don't blame Conor McGregor for taking the fight at all. If you offered me $100 million to get in the ring with Floyd Mayweather, I'd do it in a heartbeat. No problem. I'm there. So I don't blame Conor McGregor for it. Actually, you know what? He may never even fight in the UFC again. I mean, why would you go back to the UFC and fight for $3 million a fight when you're getting a $100 million paycheck? And now, upon getting this $100 million paycheck, you and your children and your children's children are set for life. That's it. And Conor McGregor has this, had this big saying that he put up on Twitter a few years ago. Get in, get rich, get out. That's what he put on his Twitter a few years ago. Get in, get rich, get out. And after this fight, he's rich. And I don't think we're going to see... I hope we see him fight. He's a really entertaining fighter in the UFC. I hope we see him come back to fight. But I don't think we're going to see him fight again in the UFC. So, MMA is going to get embarrassed. Uh, The sport of MMA is going to get embarrassed by this. Boxing is going to... Even though Mayweather is going to kill him, I still think it's going to be a black eye for boxing. Because here you go. You got one of the most celebrated names in the history of boxing, Floyd Mayweather, performing in this three-ring circus of a nonsensical event. It's just dumb. Absolutely dumb. And I'm a huge Conor McGregor fan. Love Conor McGregor. Love watching him fight. But this is a, just, this is a bullshit thing. This is a completely bullshit event. Again, I don't blame Connor for taking it. He's going to get $100 million. I don't blame Floyd Mayweather for taking it because he gets to come out of retirement for probably a $200 million payday. Yeah, why not? I, I, but the promoters, Dana White, who's probably going to get, he's going to get paid big time for this. And these guys don't care that they're damaging their, their respective sports. And you know, if I was getting paid $100 million, maybe I wouldn't care either. I just hope, I really hope People are smart enough not to get this because this is not going to be worth the 80 or $100 pay-per-view that they're going to be asking for. So please stay away from this fight. Okay, anyway, sorry, I'm done my rant. I'll move on. All right, the next question comes to us from Matthew Mendez who writes, following the great reviews of Wonder Woman, what do you think Justice League box office, what do you think the Justice League box office will be now? And will it have a positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes? Ah, uh, man, I don't know. Well, let's put it this way. As far as box office goes, it's it's all about momentum. And I think Wonder Woman establishing finally some positive momentum for the DCEU, I believe that will help. That will help and be positive 
on the Justice League movie opening weekend. It, it you know, Wonder Woman won't help Justice League in week two and three and four. Only Justice League can help itself there. But as far as the opening weekend goes, I think the Wonder Woman success can do nothing but help the Justice League opening weekend. So I don't know, maybe before I, I thought the Justice League opening weekend might have been like in a vacuum where Wonder Woman didn't exist. I think I could see 160 million. Keeping these things in consideration, Batman versus Superman, the first movie with the two biggest names, Batman versus Superman, with the incredible trailers it had and all that kind of stuff, it made 166 million at the opening weekend box office. Suicide Squad, with much smaller names, made 133. Both of those films divided the audience. A lot of people didn't like those movies. I did, but a lot of people didn't. It created a lot of turmoil and it caused a lot of division amongst fans and all that kind of stuff. Now, you take Wonder Woman out of the equation. Let's say the Wonder Woman movie didn't exist. I probably see Justice League maybe making 140 opening weekend. I mean, we still have to see the trailers. So there are still going to be more trailers. And we'll, they haven't really ramped up the Batman, sorry, the uh, Justice League marketing machine yet. So we'll have to see how good the marketing is because that will affect it as well. But I would have predicted maybe Justice League making 140, which is a huge number. With Wonder Woman being as positive as it was, I think that adds a good 20 million to its opening weekend. So right now... I'm going to take a wild guess at $160 million, but but that guess has to get thrown out the window until after we see the true full marketing machine of Justice League. We'll see how the trailers do, how the audience responds to them, what is their what are their advertisings like? Do their trailers, you know, increase the buzz more than it is right now cuz that'll change that number drastically. So, for right now, a complete shot in the dark. I'm going to take a wild guess that Justice League comes in at say 160. Now, as far as how it will do critically, I, I don't think Wonder Woman will affect it at all because I started saying over a year ago, year and a half ago, when they attached Patty Jenkins to direct Wonder Woman and it became official that they were isolating Wonder Woman in time, putting her back into the World War I era, that's what I said, okay, they, they're on the right track. They're going to make a great movie. Obviously, I was not, <laughs> I was very against the casting of Gal Gadot. I still think Wonder Woman, as as good as the movie was, I still think had somebody else other than Gal Gadot been cast, I think the movie would have been even better. But she did much better than I thought she would. So there you go. What more can you ask? But that's a different beast. Now we're coming back to Batman versus, now we're coming back to Justice League. Remember, they're already done Justice. They're doing some reshoots. But for the most part, that movie's done. They're doing some reshoots. They're going to add some new scenes. They're going to change a few things up. But for the most part, that movie's done. And it was done before Wonder Woman came out. And it's still a movie directed by Zack Snyder. And look, I am a fan of Zack Snyder. I think you always hear me say this. I think Man of Steel is a masterpiece of the genre. I really do. I love 300. I think his little animated film, The Owls of Ga'ul, is better. I think more people need to see that and to appreciate it. I think that's a really nice little animated film. Um, he's done some really good stuff. But he has struggled in the DCEU outside of Man of Steel, for me anyway. He has struggled in the DCEU, even including Man of Steel, I guess, in unifying the audience and unifying critics and getting fans and critics en masse to embrace and love these movies. And I don't see that changing right now for Justice League. So all I hope for is like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad, all I can hope is that I like Justice League. But do I have a lot of faith right now that 
Snyder is going to turn the tide and win the majority of audience over and win the majority of critics over, I, I don't know that he will. Um, because I'm not all the critics and I'm not all the audience. I'm just one guy. And what do I know? I mean, I like Batman versus Superman. I like Suicide Squad. But, you know, he has not done that yet. And I don't see that changing for Justice League right now. I hope I'm wrong. I hope 100% I'm wrong. You know, I'm going to be at Justice League opening day. I cannot wait to see this damn movie. But will it unify the audience and the critics? Not so sure about that. All right. And now we move on to our final question of the day that comes to us from Nathaniel Monaire, who writes, Over or under 20%, Tom Hardy has a cameo as Eddie Brock in Spider-Man Homecoming. All right. So as we all know, Tom Hardy is signed on. He's going to play Venom in the Sony Spider-Man movie. How connected that that Sony Venom movie is going to be to the MCU? We're going to have to wait and find out, see just how close he's going to be connected. So he's asking, Spider-Man Homecoming is coming out. What's the chance that Hardy makes an appearance? Over under 20%? I'm going to take well under 20%. I don't think he was probably even cast until long after Spider-Man Homecoming had finished shooting. And they're not doing any more reshoots and stuff like that. So now granted, when they announced Tom Hardy had signed on, he had probably already been signed on for a month or two. But I believe even then, Spider-Man Homecoming was done at shooting and was done its reshooting as well. So over under, like I'm not going to say it's zero. Absolutely not. I'm not saying it's a 0% chance that we're going to see Tom Hardy make a quick appearance in Spider-Man Homecoming, but I would put it well under 20%. I might go 5%. 5% chance that Tom Hardy pops up in the Spider-Man Homecoming video or uh, Spider-Man Homecoming movie. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campion podcast. Again, thanks so much for your support. Hey, listen, do me a favor. If you're not actually subscribed to the podcast, even if you don't use other podcast apps, can you do me a favor? Open up a podcasting app, whether it's one on Android or maybe if you use an Apple uh, iPhone, open up uh, iTunes or whatever and subscribe. Just search for the John Campion podcast and subscribe to the podcast. It helps out the podcast a great deal. So please take a few minutes to do that. Make sure you're following me on Facebook and on Twitter at John Campia and make sure you subscribe to my John Campia YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash John Campia. Join me there. And that'll do it for me, guys. Again, thanks for everything. My name is John Campia. And until next time, bye-bye. At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. At American University, we don't just hope for change. We create it. We don't just dream of a better world. We make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout D.C. to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.